Well, good morning. Um, I'm glad you're here. So, new students, students, um, welcome to A&M Church of Christ, Aggies for Christ. We had a good class this morning where we were able to make the new students and remind the old students about the things that we uh, make a part of the AFC as far as how, trying to help people serve, connect, and grow their faith. Um, we have something every day this week, as mentioned in class today, for you to get connected or to help you get connected. That is on the board behind me. It starts today, this evening, uh, at 6 o'clock at Central Park across the highway in the pavilion there. We're going to have a cookout, and then you'll notice the rest of the schedule the rest of the week. It's just opportunities for you to find people, um, particularly if you're new, a, trans, a transfer student, a freshman, maybe just new to our church this morning. Uh, we want to provide as many opportunities as possible for you to find people and find new friends or renew old friendships. We also want to be able to answer your questions. So you will see that there are people around the audience as there were in class who have a Connect shirt. So uh, just uh, to do it again, we're going to ask Dalen to stand up. Dalen, would you please model the Connect shirt if you see one of these people? <clears throat> Outstanding job, Dalen. And so... Um, you can ask one of these guys, uh, young ladies, to give you maybe some answers. Plenty of people can answer, but if you're looking for someone, these people have been specifically tasked with that job. Um, tomorrow, as a reminder to students who were not maybe in class, we have our first mentoring meeting. If you're interested in being a mentor or being mentored, then tomorrow night here at 6 o'clock we have a meeting, um, a presentation followed by a home-cooked meal um, cooked by some of our AFC students. Will you pray with me, please? So, Father, may our uh, time here this morning be an honor to you and bring glory to your name. Thank you for all of the people who've already participated, for Stephen and Monty and others. Um, pray that our hearts and our souls, our spirits, be encouraged and filled this morning by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Paul in Philippians 3 talks about how you don't have to pull the, have, don't have to go there, but he talks about how he was a Jew of all Jews. He was a part of the Israel, tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the, circumcised on the eighth day, all these things, arguments that he was a Jew of all Jews. Well, I'm a churchgoer of all churchgoers. <clears throat> I grew up son of a preacher in Mississippi and East Texas later on after he had moved and after I'd gone to college. But in my growing up years, literally, if the church doors were open, we were there. And often if they weren't open for the public, they were still open for me. Because we cleaned the baptistry on Saturdays. We prepared the communion trays on Saturdays. We mowed the yard. We picked up, raked the leaves after a fall breeze or storm. Um, and we supported all of the small churches around town with gospel meetings. Many of us here may remember gospel meetings. So if there was any reason that a church was having a meeting or some sermon or some lesson, VBS, didn't matter. The Miller kids were there. So a small town preacher, a staff of really a preacher and an administrative assistant, that's really all there was. And so that meant that I was on staff as well as being a part of the biological family of Norman Miller. And we would always, my sister and I, go and do a lot of the things around the church. So I've been, I've, I've been doing that forever. I can remember my early years, and I want you to think for a second real quickly about why are you here this morning? You may think, well, that's an obvious reason. But maybe it's not so obvious, and there may be multiple reasons. I'm going to give you one of mine. So when I was a kid... <clears throat> I loved going to church. Now, 
we worship on Sunday morning, but we really worship all the day. So worship isn't just something that we reserve for these couple of hours. So worship's vital, clearly, but we can do that other times too. Communion we do on Sunday mornings. Don't typically do that any other time or really in another setting. But back then, if I wanted to see my friends and be with my friends, the only way I could do that was go to church. And I loved my friends. Back then, you actually had to be in their presence to have a communication with them. You might be able to call them, but that meant they had to be at the actual physical location of the phone and no one else needed had to be on the phone, otherwise you just got the busy signal. So for us, and I'm pro-technology, I use it now more than I ever thought I would. It obviously needs a restraint, but I'm, this is not a technology question, it's just a, it's sort of a period piece, if you will. Back in the day, if I wanted to see my buddies and friends, I had to be at church. I don't know how many times after church, on Sunday evenings or Wednesday evenings typically, because Sunday morning we were dressed up too much to fool around, but on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights, we would scatter, find a ball. How many times I came back to my mom with holes in my brand new jeans? Because I would skin my knee, I'd fall down on the concrete. Back then, we just sewed or ironed a patch. I had patches all over the knees of my jeans. It didn't match the original color of the jeans. And those were my jeans I wore all the time. School didn't matter where I was. That's what we did. After church, which took a long time. Sometimes after church took longer than church, particularly when your dad is the preacher because we were locking up. We would go to someone's house because that was invariably the case that the adults would sit in a den or somewhere and drink coffee and have a dessert and the kids would all shoot outside and play hide and go seek or something like that. I loved it. That's when I got to be with my friends. When I was in the youth group in high school, I was in a church of about 140 people, but about 60 of those were teenagers and junior high students. It was sort of an amazing percentage at the time. It was sort of this confluence of events that brought all these families with kids and visitors together to be a part of this youth group that was extraordinarily active during my high school years. And I loved it. I did everything, as did many of the others, because we were there because we wanted to see our friends. I couldn't just, I couldn't arrange somehow to see someone on an off day, I just had to run, un, you know, run into them. I couldn't text someone and say, hey, me, let's go get coffee or something like that. I just had to, had to run into them by chance, and that was rarely the case. So if I wanted to see my friends, church was where it was. In the AFC, when I came as a student, same thing. I might run into somebody on campus, but if I wanted to be somewhere to where my friends were, it was there. And that was a big, important part of why I came to church. And it still is. It's one of my favorite things. After church, in the foyer, and in here, that's a great time. One of my favorite questions on Sunday is, where are we going to eat and who's going so we can all be together? I love that. And I need that. You know, it talks to us, the Bible does, about how our faith is in something that's unseen. And it's true. I can't see Jesus. You know, I can see Reed over here. I could go have a conversation. I could shake Reed's hand. I don't have that connection, physical connection with Jesus, but, he, but he's there, but he's unseen. And so our faith is supposed to be in something we can't see. But in a lot of ways, I see Jesus every time I'm with you in your faces. This morning, we're going to talk about sustained faith. We're going to be looking at the same passage we had last week. But before we get there, let me tell you this. This is a little bit of my shout-out to the AFC. 
and Aggies for Christ as students. What group of people has sustained my faith more than any other group? Well, family. And that's an honest answer. It's not just, well, you've got to say family first and move on. No, family is it. But next to family, and a pretty close second, is something I also consider largely as family. And it's the people I went to school with in the AFC. Sometimes we say, well, you get to make lifetime friendships. That's not a joke. The friends I still now call my closest friends are friends that I met in the AFC. And yes, there were the social things, the games and the things that we did that were fun. And those things are strong connecting pieces to friendships. But largely, it was being with students in serving or ministry roles around town, the state, and the country. You do things like that with people, and you'll find lifetime friends. They still feed me now. I see a lot of them here. And when I see them at distant uh, weddings or something like that, it's just like we've been reunited and never been apart. That's a faith thing for me. People. People. I want to read a, a verse that we had last week. It's going to be on the screen. It's one that's familiar. It's more familiar because we read it last week. It's Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. I'm going to show you three verses in succession. Therefore, verse 12, verse 1 and 2 through verse 12. Now, remember last week, real quickly, we talked about all the weights and the sin that so easily entangles. Okay? We're looking for what's the, what's the remedy, what's the fix, huh, literally. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything. That's all that stuff that sort of hinders. That's not necessarily sin, but keeps us from following Jesus. And the sin, that's the one thing we can't seem to get rid of. It's a sin, that's sort of this sin that just always grabs us. And let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. That's the sustained part. How do we sustain our faith? Fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 8 through 10 of Psalm 141. But my eyes are fixed on you, sovereign Lord, and you I take refuge. Do not give me over to death. Keep me safe from the traps set by evildoers, from the snares they have laid for me. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by in safety. Hebrews 3.1. Therefore, Holy brothers and sisters, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and as our high priest. So it's a sin that just gets us. You've tried to get rid of it. It just traps you up. You're so frustrated. You set goals. Maybe I'll do better. Tomorrow you wake up, it'll be different. By the end of the evening, it's the same old sin. It's something that's gone on for weeks or for so months, months, and it's the same enemy year after year. It's the same failed plans. It's all the attempts that you take to try to drive out the sin, and nothing ever seems to, to ever change. And we talked about the weariness last week, and we read verses about how the weary are welcomed in Jesus' arms. Some of the things that keep me from getting to the remedy, which we'll get to in a minute, which is fix your eyes on Jesus, is this. The idea that we fix our eyes in other places. And I want you to hear two of them. One of the things we do, and it's one of Satan's biggest tricks, is that he helps you along the way and entices you to fix your eyes on your sin. 
so that whenever you even start to try to make an attempt to get close to Jesus, right there in front of your face is your sin. You just see it. It grosses you out, makes you sick. It's another reminder of another failure and something that's just gone on for years, and it keeps you from actually being able to be in the presence of God privately almost, it seems like. Prayers are struggles, and there's a stumbling block because the sin's ever before you. That's Satan, the evil one, who wants to keep you isolated and separate from God. Sometimes our focus and our gaze is set there. Sometimes it's set on props. It's not just a Texas thing or an American thing. It's a little bit of a world thing. We've got so many things propping us up. We put our faith in so many things that we do tend to and are off or to rely on and that are honestly often reliable. But they're not ultimately reliable. And so it's almost like in some, unless someone comes and kicks the prop or the crutch out from under us, we don't ever really realize how vital Jesus is to us. So we're supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus. Reed, I'm going to keep using you. Thank you for volunteering. Reed comes to me and he says, I say, he's, ah, he goes, hey, I got this sin or whatever. I, you know, I'm having trouble with this or this. I say, well, you know what, Reed? I got your remedy. I want you to just fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. So he walks away and goes, okay, well, okay, um, I, I need to fix my eyes on Jesus. Okay, um, no. What do I do? Just fix your eyes on Jesus. Read it. It'll be okay. It's true. Fix your eyes on Jesus. But how do you do it? A side note, we read one of the passages earlier. I want to go back to it real quickly, Gary, if you will. Uh, the last one, Hebrews 3.1. One of the things is, it's our thoughts. Now, let me talk about your thoughts for a second before I get to the fix for Reed, or one of them. You know, when I sin... It started in my mind a long time ago. There's a reason God tells you to get your thoughts under control. It's because when you sin, and sometimes it takes, a, it takes an actionable step, it's because it played out in some sort of dream or narrative or an imagination in your head long before then. So there's wisdom in that. Read, fix your eyes on Jesus. Well, how do we do that? Well, I'm going to tell you what I think. And so I need you to listen to me and not shut me out real quickly when you hear it. How do you and how do I put our thoughts and our eyes on Jesus? Be here. Be here. I think about coming to church, and people say, let's go to church. But I guarantee you I could not be a faithful follower of Jesus without being here. We want to be witnesses. Try being a witness but not showing up and being in community with other believers. 
I get my fuel from you. I need you. There's wisdom in God asking us to be together. Is it because he needs me here and you here? No, it's because he knows if you're going to be faithful and be a sustained faith person so that my last breath, I've persevered to the end, I'm going to be dependent on you. And you're going to be dependent on me. Try to go it alone. How many people do you know that are great perseverers in their faith that don't go to church? And don't meet with some community of believers. It's hard as it is. You want to be faithful to the end and witness, like we talked, be a witness? You need to be with other Christians. It's vital to me. I notice it when if, I, if I'm gone. And I'd be, I'm employed here, but I'd be here anyway. I love it. I want to see you. My soul has to have it. In the foyer afterwards, in the foyer before, in the AFC class, seeing somebody in a hall, Man, it just keeps me going. And it's almost like I need it week to week. I got another week. I filled up for another week. Then another week, I come back, okay, there are others on this path. There's others doing the same thing. There are others that are calling Jesus Lord. Others people who are showing up. I've got to have it. You want to be a person who has a sustained faith and you want to fix your eyes on Jesus, you tell me a better way to fix your eyes on Jesus than meeting with people who are also fixing their eyes on Jesus. For me, if you find me faithful in the end, you would have played a part. You would have played a vital part. When I fix my eyes on Jesus, does it solve everything? No. I still see my own ugliness that I wish I could have banished away, but I still see Jesus. I don't often see the growth in me that I've longed for and prayed for, but I see Jesus. I set stupid, trivial goals, and they go by, and I can't do them, and I have often pathetic ways of trying to take care of myself, but I still see Jesus. And then I see in a pained world that also seems closer to collapse. I get hope because I see Jesus. I can see the world right and put it in its proper place because I see Jesus. And I fix my eyes there. And I fix my eyes there because I'm here. 1 Peter 1.8 Though you've not seen him, you love him. I see, Reed. But Jesus, I can't see physically. You love him, and even though you do not see him, you believe in him or are, are, are filled with inexpressible joy and glory, uh, inexpressible and glorious joy. How are these people who've never seen Jesus, never been in his presence, filled with inexpressible joy and I mean, how would they be so glad about Jesus? I'm gonna give you what I think it is. 
I think they were told stories. Long ago, they were told stories of what Jesus had done. I'm not a great storyteller, but I've got some stories I can tell. And last week we talked about being a witness to other generations. It's really, really hard to be a witness if I don't testify. I want to show you a so I'm sort of this visual dude who I have these sort of triggers and tricks and things I remind myself of. And I'm going to show you one this morning. Um, this is a picture from a favorite movie of mine. I'm not, I'm not going to maintain it. I, I don't remember. It may have some parts that are not wholesome. I don't remember all of it. I didn't watch it again in preparation. But I remember this visual. It's a sort of emotional, uh, compelling scene at the end of the movie Dead Poet Society. Robin Williams, the teacher, is being fired, and he's leaving the building, or leaving the room, and they're looking at him in the doorway. If you were to see the scene, or maybe you can replay it in your mind, if it's a one you've watched before, you, can, you know uh, what I'm describing. So they're being defiant at this point uh, of, uh, toward a professor who's taken over for Robin Williams, and they're standing on their tabletops saying, Captain, my captain, uh, hearkening back to an earlier scene in a Walt Whitman poem in reference to Abraham Lincoln. The point is not the Dead Poet Society. The point is, and to all of us, but I'm going to somewhat give some specificity in comments to college students, is after you fix and you fix your eyes on Jesus, another thing that helps me sustain my faith, but yet is, I think, actually, I'm called on to have as a byproduct of my faith, is to stand. Now, college students, and everybody, I don't want any of us to come to some, some sort of conclusion that we're a wimpy set of people who sort of wither away when challenged, or we sort of slip into the background about our faith. We should speak through our lives and words who we claim. And it's not a time or a place to grow silent and let Satan have a foothold. Regardless of what your age is, you've got stories to tell, and you can stand up for the name of Jesus. Again, if you want to witness, you've got to testify. And how do you do that? You stand. On his behalf. In our culture, standing is pretty common. I've been watching with Leslie this series on Masterpiece Theater, Downton Abbey. I don't know if you know anything about it. I didn't think I would get attached to it, but yet I'm all in. So here we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, later on, I'm joking, obviously, but, you know, I get all wrapped in it a little bit. And later, after, long after we watch the show, I'll say, Leslie, what do you think they're, that they're doing at Downton Abbey tonight? What do you think? Like, it's a real place. <clears throat> I wonder if they're all around, you know, eating. What's, what's, for, what's for dinner? Um, 
But you ever think those movies, there's always standing up and down, standing, standing when somebody's offended, standing when a lady enters the room, standing when anybody enters the room. There's a lot of standing. We have it in our culture too. You know, if you've been married before, you remember you're back at the auditorium and you walk in there with that white dress and what happens? The whole audience stands. Funeral processions, when the family proceeds down, comes down the aisle in the front of the auditorium during a funeral, what does everybody do? Everybody stands. I'm sort of asking you to do that. I want to show you a couple of verses. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous and be strong. And the next one, but with a little bit of story. Years ago, I spent one summer at a camp, and Scott Owings, who I think grew up in this church, but I'm not sure, but has a strong link to it. Nancy Crouch is, I think, brother. And then Doug McGowan, who came to the AFC. We were all at this camp together. We had this sort of silly challenge. We were going to memorize scripture. Um, and we'd each have a verse each day, and, um, or for a week. And any time someone came up to us and screamed the verse at us, we were supposed to be able to recite the verse by heart. If we couldn't, we had to drop down and do 25 push-ups. So we'd be walking around, and McGowan or I'd scream a verse. And immediately, i got to be able to quote the verse, or i got to do 25 push-ups. There were a lot of push-ups given. This verse, though, that I'm about to read, is one from that summer of 1983, and I've used it often as a help for me. And I also, when asking the students to get a theme verse for a mission trip, I've chosen this one as my own, because it's a reminder that in this world, there's no reason college students to be timid about your faith. There's no reason to be reticent about it. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. But we are of those who believe and are saved. So how can you take a stand? I'm going to help you. College students and non-college students. All those conversations you have late at night when everybody comes back, they get back at 12, you're watching the 1 a.m. sports center and you're still sitting there. Make it a point, all of us. Maybe not so much like a list to keep, but can we utter the name of Jesus more frequently in our conversations? Is there a time we can have spiritual content to what we say and what we discuss? At work, wouldn't it be easy to share over lunch or coffee? You know, hey, something, you know, I was thinking about the Bible today or Jesus has done for me. I mean, he should come off our roll off our lips with such ease. You want to take a stand? Let your language be peppered with the name of Jesus. In your dorm rooms, with your roommates? How easy should that be? To college students, one last entreaty. As you start this year, and last week we talked about a fall start, a fall run, to remind you that these years are not some sort of holding pattern our status quo period between life and when real life begins. This is not an interlude between home and family. 
your only and highest goal is not just to try to keep oneself unspotted from all the world has to offer, although that's a good goal. Your highest and immediate aim is to faithfully follow him fully now and do things that produce a sustaining faith. It's not always the strength of your faith that will save you. In fact, it never does. It's the object of your faith. So hold on tightly. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Be with people that are fixing their eyes on Jesus. Let his name roll softly, loudly, but easily off of your lips. So, one last thing. I'm going to do something that's a little bit uh, (laughs) weird, but it's me up here. And so, I'm going to play, if you're a fifth year or older, this tape's not going to be unfamiliar to you. In the early 1970s, Gavin Byers, along with another document, uh, person doing a documentary, um, were in London, England, around the Waterloo Station. And the purpose of the documentary was to sort of document the life of homeless people in London, England. And they were recording the songs and the words and the conversations, whatever they would hear about all the homeless men and women who would just be in this one big area in London, England. And they gathered all that and made a documentary. Well, there were some tapes of uh, pieces of... Uh, talking or songs that were not ever used, and they sent them with Gavin Byers, who was really sort of a sidekick. He was not the main document, documentarian person, whatever the word is. Anyway, it doesn't matter. He got to hold the tapes. He was listening through those tapes, and he came across this homeless man, which he found later, but did not live long enough to actually see the outcome of what his singing did. Gavin Byers took this phrase. To call it a song would be a gross exaggeration. It's not a song. So much as just a English-accented, weathered-voiced, homeless man singing the same refrain and sentence over and over and over again. And starts softly, gets longer, I mean, gets louder. The guy, Gavin Bowers, actually made a 25-minute huge orchestra piece based on this one thing said over and over again. It is redundant, no question, but I don't mind redundancy when the message is so simple. You have the picture of standing on tables for you to stand. I want you to have this, this song. It may be so, you may, you may uh, rue the day you heard it because it'll stick in your mind, it's stuck in my mind, it just goes on and on again. But it's a simple, easy phrase. Simple reminder of the one thing, one, one, the only holy one that never fails. It'll start softly and get louder, so... If it seems silent, it's because it is, and it's getting a little bit louder. Jesus' blood. It's never failed me. It'll never never fail you. College students, again, a shout-out to you. Sometimes people ask me, how's the AFC ministry going? I go, that's too broad of a question. You've got to slice it a little smaller for me. You're here either as a senior, a graduate student, or a freshman. And there's so much that's exciting about college years, and I remember them. And they were exciting, and I loved them. May these years only fuel your faith. Years from now, even though it's really hard to see them, 
you'll be older like me. And may you be found faithful. May you be found to be in love with the only one, whether you're in high school, college, retired, who will never fail you, who offers the only hope for a right way to see the world, which is through the lens of eternity. Jesus will never fail you, college students. He's never failed you in the past. Everybody else will at some point, but he won't. Will you pray with me, please?